please stand with me as we read the word of God. Today we are in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it um, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get them out, open them up to Mark chapter 1. As we continue through the book of Mark, um, beholding Jesus our King. Uh, we, uh, we continue walking through, and uh, there's a few things that you might be picking up as we walk through the book of Mark um, that uh, might leave you asking questions. I know this last week in, in my home group, uh, as we were kind of walking through the, the passage and thinking on the sermon uh, there are things that as you walk through and read, that the, the text brings up questions. And it's really important and really great for you to actually approach reading God's Word with a curious mind. Uh, and so one of those things that, that you'll probably think in, in is, which we'll see later, uh, is this like repeated thing where Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Be quiet. Be quiet. Uh, we'll get there in a little bit. But I want to encourage you as you read your Bible, as you open up God's Word, to read it with a curious mind, with a desire to understand and to know it. So um, have any of you ever been the recipient of just a remarkable level of compassion? Uh, like somebody who went out of their way to just do something in a moment where you maybe felt stuck, felt hopeless, felt like you couldn't do anything about it, and somebody in compassion, they stepped in and they met maybe a physical need, a monetary need, or, or just cared for you in some way. Um, and, and we see this, if you watch news talk shows, particularly morning talk shows, you'll see periodically these stories of people who do remarkable things uh, of compassion, whether it's like I saw a story, I don't know when it was, a while back where this lady, she comes out of a, um, it was out of a baseball game in Chicago. It's super cold in the fall, and she, uh, she sees this person on the side of the road with a sign that says, I need warm clothes and boots. And so she just stops and she takes her boots off in the like cold, cold, cold time of uh, of the fall in a city like Chicago and just gives her boots to this lady and keeps walking. She was on a, I think, one of the morning talk shows and they were just like bringing attention to remarkable moments of compassion. Or, or maybe you think of like a, an organ donor story, a story where somebody who, uh, uh, there's a part of their body they, that is failing and they're in need of somebody to move towards them in a remarkable display of compassion to provide them what they need for, for life. Today, as we continue through the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus uh, move towards someone in a remarkable act of compassion. 
And, and specifically, I'll walk you through, kind of give you an outline. If you take notes, great. I love that you do that if you do so. Uh, we're looking at this week as Jesus is our, uh, our cleansing king. That Jesus is our cleansing king. And we're going to walk through this in three parts. Uh, the sickness, the cleansing, and then the response. So Jesus is our cleansing king. Uh, the sickness, the cleansing, and the response. So I want to dive right in. Mark chapter 1. Verse 40 says this, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. If we set ourselves in the story, what's happening right now in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has just begun doing a whole bunch of miracles. He goes into the Sabbath, or into the synagogue on the Sabbath for worship. He preaches. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, this guy talks like nobody I've ever heard before. And then he cast out a demon in the middle of the synagogue. And then later that night, at or later after church, he goes to lunch at Peter's house and Peter's mom's sick. So he just touches her and she's healed. And then after the sun goes down, everybody comes out and is like, okay, Sabbath's over, let's party. They all show up at Jesus's, wherever he's staying, Peter's house, it seems. And just throughout the evening, he's just healing people, healing people, healing people, healing people. And then the morning he wakes up super early and he leaves. Doesn't tell anyone. He just goes out by himself to pray, to spend time with the Lord. His disciples come find him. Like, hey, all these people that wanted you to heal them, there's more. Come on, let's go back. And Jesus' response is, no, let's go elsewhere. And so Jesus and his disciples, they leave Capernaum and they go on his purpose mission to make disciples and to preach the gospel of good news. The kingdom is at hand. And as he's going around, uh, he, he encounters different people in different cities. And, and if you read this in Luke, it says that as Jesus came down the mountain with a whole crowd of people with him, he's encountered by a man. Not just any man, it's a leper. Uh, so what is a, a leper? Many of you may have heard of leprosy, and, and in maybe hearing about leprosy, you heard about leprosy as the like, the skin disease where parts of your skin, particularly your extremities, they begin to lose circulation and they eventually, the, the skin dies, the tissue dies, and your skin and, and the extremities fall off. It's quite um, like just sad and terrible. But that's not only what we're talking about here. Leprosy is a word that encompasses a variety of different skin infections and sicknesses. And specifically, if you look, and you can if you want to, it's super and fascinating reading. Leviticus 13 and 14, where God unpacks um, what leprosy is and the policies and whatnot that he leads his people to doing and what to do in cases of leprosy. Uh, and in that, uh, leprosy is a sickness and a kind of sickness where the, I'm just to be clear, I'm thankful that I'm a pastor in 2020. Because in 30 AD, if somebody had some sort of a skin infection, say it was a boil or, or something happened, they would go to the priest and they would show their infection to the priest and the priest would examine the infection according to God's word. And if they saw particular things inside of the infection, they'd be like, oh yeah, uh, you need to quarantine for seven days. We've all heard that lately. You need to quarantine for seven days. And they would put you in a little spot, a little small room to quarantine for seven days and after seven days, they'd come back to the priest, and the priest would look at it again. And if it hadn't spread, if there wasn't any discoloring or changing of colors of hair or things like that, then they would be deemed clean, and they'd be allowed to go. If, the, if it 
if it had progressed to go back to quarantine for seven more days. So 14 days sounds like right now quarantine because of this skin infection, rash kind of thing, whatever it may be looking like is going on. And the priest would examine it according to God's word in Leviticus 13 and 14 and make a call based on the outlines of God if that was an infection or a sickness that was potentially contagious and therefore needed to be treated by, by particular guidelines that God gave for the people. And what those guidelines were were this. The person was required to wear torn clothing. Not like, oh, I got a tear in my jeans. That's cool now. I'm talking like their, their clothes were ripped to pieces to identify them as, as an unclean person. That they had to wear their hair long and unkept. So they had to look like unkept and dirty and long hair. They had to look unclean. This one might sound weird, but they had to have a mustache. I assume ladies probably got by without it. Um, but they, they had to have a mustache. You had to shave your beard, if you were a guy, and leave your mustache. Nowadays, hipster guys are like, hey, wait a second, we don't, we don't have leprosy. Um, but in this day, like, a mustache was worn by somebody who had leprosy, had a form of skin infection. That they had to approach other people and publicly announce themselves as unclean, unclean. And the last and probably the most, um, most impactful part was that they had to live alone or among other lepers outside of the camp or the town or the city. That they were outcast from society. Not like they did something weird and so nobody liked them. They were physically outcast from the city, from the town, from the region. And so when Jesus encounters this guy, he doesn't encounter him in Bethany or in Capernaum or in Cana or in Nazareth, he encounters him where he lives, out along the road in the middle of nowhere, somewhere near probably a city or a town where he could, by the charity of loved ones or friends, make it by week to week. So this is the guy that we encounter here. He's ceremonially and physically unclean according to the priest, and we don't know if if this is like the uh, really aggressive form of leprosy where he's missing fingers or toes or parts of his face. Or we don't know if this is like he's got a series of boils and in, the, in that moment with those boils, he can't live in town. This could be somebody who for years has lived like this. We don't know. But what we do know is that this man, because of the way in which the, the, the outline guidelines in Leviticus were, would have had drastic impact on his very, well, very life. Feelings of, of shame because of this physical condition that he didn't, didn't ask for, this physical condition that he can't do anything about, but he's outcast from among the people. Think about the ramifications of this, that, that in a moment of declaration as unclean by the priest, his social life is gone. That his friendship's over. That his working relationships with maybe his neighbors, done. That his familial life, gone. Your, your family doesn't come to live with the lepers. So your family life is gone. 
Uh, historically, they think the, the most extent that you would have interaction with as a leper with your family is that they would come out of the city to a designated place and they would put resources that you would need for you to come and then take when they weren't there. Whether they were stacking up like clothes or some materials that you may need to build your shantytown or food or something like that, they would come out and maybe set it outside of the city so that you could then come and get it while nobody else was there. Like that's the extent of your familial relationship. His professional life is gone. We don't know what this guy did. He could have been a tradesman. He could have been, uh, he could have been a, a priest for all we know. We don't, we don't know. He could have been somebody's son who had no profession, but as a child got some form of skin disease and was forced out of the city and now he finds himself as an adult. We don't know. We don't know what's going on there, but if he had a professional life, it's over. His spiritual life is gone. In, in this day, in this age, worship happened at the synagogue on Saturday and in the temple when you would go each year to make sacrifices for your family, for you. Gone. Because you can't do those things. You can't go into the synagogue you can't go and listen to the, the scribe who's in town this week preach from Isaiah. You can't gather for the bar mitzvahs of your friends and celebrate this transformational time in their life, in your culture. You can't go to the, the Passover feast with your family this year. That your spiritual life is, is most likely gone since in this culture it was so centered around those things. His physical life, that his body is in, in pain, it's, it's maybe aching, it's, it's deteriorating, that his physical well-being is not as it was, healthy, but gone. And then, and then maybe the most impactful is to think of the, the weight and the toll that all of those things would make upon the emotional state of somebody in the situation. Just to think about the emotional stuff going on inside of somebody who every relationship and friendship they had is over. Their family interactions, gone. Their, their life, livelihood, their work, where oftentimes we find a sense of value and purpose, done. Their ability to go to temple and worship and pray, gone. Their physical health, gone and making, making impact on their emotional well-being. That this is somebody who's, who, because of a skin sickness and disease, life is found in ruins outside of the city. You can't imagine anything other than that this would bring this guy to a humbled place of hopelessness. What do I do? Like, like... I, I, no ability to change the circumstances, no ability to fix anything going on, just the hopelessness that he might live with or have. Living out by himself, off the charity of other people, emotionally wrecked, physically in pain, pain abandoned by those whom he loved and said or do love him, and unable to display his own faith in Yahweh in worship. That, uh, we would hope and think that our hearts would go out to a guy like this as we think about this story, that like, man, 
Like, yeah, I think I'm in a hard spot right now, but man. And hopefully that our, our hearts would, would well up with compassion for somebody in this situation. And we think right now, at least hopefully, we're feeling we're feeling feelings of compassion, for sorrow for the thing that this guy is going through. You know, the reality is we might not see leper communities in the suburbs or in the, the rural areas of town, but we see people who are going through one or two or a few of these same things throughout life. And it's worth asking, we're not going to dive into this, but it's worth asking, do we feel the weight and compassion for those people that are in our daily lives, that we maybe know or we see, maybe they're emotionally in a really hard spot right now, or maybe they're socially in a hard spot, or they're, they're grieving a loss of a friend or a family member, or, or maybe they're just in a really rough spot spiritually, just struggling. Do we, do we think, put ourselves in that place and move towards them with compassion? Or do we move past them with our eyes on ourselves? In our condition, in our state. We see that this guy is humbled and hopeless. And we see that specifically because what is his actions? What happens? It says, he came imploring and kneeling before Jesus. If you were one of Jesus' disciples, uh, you grew up in a town, you're not unfamiliar with leprosy or, or this condition where people were put in these kind of places, you're not unfamiliar with this. You're not unfamiliar with going to your cousin's house who lives in the village next door and, and somebody coming near the city and they're shouting, unclean, unclean, and they're wearing the clothes that those kind of people wear. And You're not unfamiliar with this, but now you're with Jesus. You're just coming down from the mountain. He's just did this like epic sermon, maybe healed some people. Huge crowd of people. You're rolling down the mountain, and then rushing up in front of the crowd is this leper who doesn't say, unclean, unclean. He just falls falls at the feet of Jesus and begins begging. I can imagine what happens here in this moment is not, oh, I mean like, man, yeah, he's in such a hard spot. What, what I can imagine happening based on how we see the rest of the people in Jesus' day and in the area where he's at, what I can see most likely happening is this, oh my goodness, the stepping back, like, oh no, don't give me leprosy. Like, hey, you didn't do what you're supposed to. You didn't yell unclean. Dude, you're putting us all at risk. I can see that happening. As Jesus in the crowd and the disciples come down the mountain, this leper comes up and seeing the crowd kind of do this like away. This like disperse away, leaving Jesus and the leper on his knees, on his face in front of him, and the crowd all backed away, just watching. Kind of like in, in the movies when we see fights take place in schools. What happens? Just circles up around. I don't think it actually happens. Circles up around, and there's two people in the middle. Everybody's just watching. That's what I imagine this probably looks like, but this man in his hopelessness is humbled to the point of knowing, I have nothing else that I can do. And he boldly comes, bowing before Jesus, and begs. He bows before Jesus, 
and he begs. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you want to, Jesus, you can do this. Uh, Jesus, if you want to make me well, if you want to restore all that I have lost in my life, in my friendships, in my family, in my work, in my, my spiritual life, in my physical life, in the emotional turmoil and wreck that he is. Jesus, if you want to, you can, so will you. You see, you and I might not have leprosy. We might not be in the physical sickness and uncleanliness that this man has. But there is a way in which we are unclean. You see, we don't have maybe a leprosy of our physical body, but a leprosy of our hearts. And this is the sickness, that first point. That we may not be externally unclean, but our hearts are filled with sickness and sin. You see, leprosy is not something that somebody chose. And oftentimes we feel like we chose sin and there is an active part in it, but in innate in the part of who you are and in your sin, outside of the grace of God to bring about, re, bring about regeneration of your heart, you are enslaved to sin. That your heart is bent towards and totally depraved. Filled with sickness and sin. This is the, the state of all of humanity. Our hearts are sick. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it that way. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, sin can often be uh, visible on the outside. But underneath all sin is an internal cancerous infection and sickness in our hearts. And it shows when the heat of life comes. That when stress begins to build, when, when need begins to grow, when conflict in relationship begins to brew, when, when faced with the potential of failure on the backside of failure, when facing your fears of what ifs may come, this is when our sickness and the leprosy of our hearts begins to become most visible. That as the, the heat of life begins to bear down on the tree of your heart, the fruit begins to unveil itself. That's sick. This is why we lash out in anger. This is why we, uh, this is why we, we, we do all sin. Because internally, there's a sickness in heart, a leprosy of your soul, that when the pressure of life comes, the internal parts begin to show themselves in the external parts. And so the, the, the question that we have to ask is this. Do we understand ourselves to be humbled and hopeless like this guy? 
do we find ourselves in a place to where because of the condition of our hearts, aware of the sin in there, that we come begging Jesus to cleanse our hearts? You see, sin uh, might not uh, show its face at times, but it does show itself in wrecked social life. It shows itself in distorted familial life, in conflict in professional life or pursuit of unhealthy things in your professional life. A, 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 a non-existent or, or dim spiritual life. And that sin shows itself in, in, your, in your physical life. As you make sinful decisions that progressively move towards the destruction of the body the Lord has given you. And most definitely sin makes an impact on your emotional well-being. And I'll just clarify real quick. I'm not saying that all of those things that you might experience in life is because of your sin. It very well could be because of the sin of somebody else, or it could just be because of the brokenness of the world around us. But at the same time, there are definitely moments and times in our life when we experience, uh, when we experience the same things that this man would have experienced, because of the sickness of our own souls and our hearts. Uh, I can think of when I, using the illustration of the the picture of when the pressure of life comes, it begins to unveil the condition of our hearts. Uh, I remember this was probably May, uh, twenty twenty. We're a couple months into the whole COVID quarantine work from home deal. I'm super extroverted as a person. And so the whole stay in your house, work from home, can't bring anybody over, can't go do anything kind of thing. I thought I would crack earlier than I did, but I guess by the grace of God, I made it a month and a half or so. Um, and uh, I, I mean, to be honest, like there was levels of depression and frustration um, that began to unveil itself in my heart, in my life, in my relationships with, with my kids, with my wife, with my work. Um, and I could easily justify, oh, it's this, oh, it's that, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. Um, but what COVID and that quarantine did for me was the pressure and heat of the change of life, the way about doing things, created an atmosphere where the condition of my own heart began to be visible that the fruit of my own heart began to show itself in irritation and frustration and escaping uh, and in, in depression because, and what the Lord did in His grace through that season, uh, brought me to a humbled place to where I reached out for help. That I sent a text message to a mentor of mine over the last year and was like, hey, can we Zoom? As so much as I wasn't enjoying Zoom. He doesn't live in Texas, so there was no other option. <laughs> Um, he's like, yeah, let's do it. And just kind of humbled and, and hopeless, I just shared with him what was going on. And in that conversation, the Lord began to use him to unveil uh, a self-reliance and dependence on my own strength to do the things that were for, before me. Not only then, but a pattern in history of doing that in the past to where now I'm in a place where, where I used to be able to do things in my own strength and do it pretty well. I wasn't even able to do those things anymore. I began to feel like, man, like, what am I even doing? Like, 
the things I'm good at, I can't do anymore. And so in that moment and in time, when the pressure began to push in on me, I was humbled. Humbled to the point to where I knew I needed to go get help. And in that, thankfully, I went to somebody who just pushed me to Jesus. Pushed me to Jesus. So when you're faced with your own sinfulness, the leprosy of your heart, what do you do? What do you do? Uh, there's, there's vain attempts to wash away our own sickness of heart. Here's a few of them. I'll say it again. They're vain attempts to wash away your own sickness and heart. To wash it away by comparison. To wash away how you feel about your own sinful sick heart with comparison. As a way of letting you cope with your own sinfulness by making you feel less dirty than somebody else. That in that, that little trickery game that we play with our own hearts, the reality, though, is, is that we never change. Our hearts don't become more clean. We just think we're better than somebody else. And so we think we can wash away this feeling of, uh, of, of dirtiness in our own heart, uh, of this sin, with comparison. Another way is washing it away with justification. Uh, that if I can give a good enough reason to why I feel like this, then I can then live with myself in it. That, that, like blaming others or blaming circumstances. Well, I'm like, this is going on because of this, because of that. I'm stressed right now because of blank. And those are definitely components at play. But what comes out of here is, is not because of them. Those are just exasperating what's already there. It can go so far as just taking on the identity of that sin and saying, it's just the way that I am. We begin to justify our own sickness. Another one is, is by washing it away with numbing. By washing it away with numbing the feelings of sickness and failure through uh, in things like inflicting pain on yourself or others, cutting, drug abuse. This is suicide. There's sickness internally that you don't know what to do with. And the only thing to do is to numb or escape. Through sexual sin, to numb the pain you feel, the, the brokenness, the discord. Through addiction, through substance abuse, through escapism, to run away from it. On adventure, distraction, either like good distraction, like, hey, I want to hang out with all my friends because that'll make me feel better. Like, there's a place for that. There is. But if we're in our hopelessness and humility, going there to try and bring about a remedy for the sickness of your heart, we're just self-medicating. Another one is washing it away through aggression towards other people. If I can just take control of you or the circumstance or the situation, then I can get through this. Taking your pain out on the failures of others. This can be passive or active. Passive aggressive or actively aggressive. And most of these, there's, there's a variety of others that you may personally feel of ways that we tend to um, deal with or face our own sinfulness and wickedness. So, you know, there's there's self-righteousness. Oh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to fix myself. I'm going to do better. 
All of them eventually lead to just acceptance and rebellion. This is just the way that I am. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, this is uh, the, the thing that this passage brings out for us in this first verse is that this guy in his hopelessness, in his sickness, doesn't do any of those. He may have tried a variety of them. I don't know. Like, substance abuse could have been rampant among leper communities. I don't know. We don't, we don't know what he's done, but we do find him right now in the midst of his own sickness, humbled and begging Jesus to cleanse him. See, oftentimes as, as Christians, we never see transformation in our lives because we don't really deal with the things going on inside of us. We cope with them. As opposed to coming and confessing them to the Lord and repenting and crying out for Him to fix your heart, to change, to break it, to make it new. See, each moment that you face the heat of life that brings out the reality of the condition of your heart is an opportunity and a moment for you to experience more of the grace of Jesus and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. But it takes courage. Because the very first thing you have to do is be humble to the point of realizing and acknowledging, I'm sick and I need help. And coming to the one who helps. The, the, the biggest thing that we can take here is that when we are faced with the condition of our hearts, we need the first step to be humbly coming before our Savior Jesus and begging Him to make us new. Right now, you might be sounding like, dang, Derek, like, thanks for the pep talk. <laughs> um, I want to say two things to that. Uh, we don't want to plan a church that's ignorant or ignores the reality of what's going on inside of any one of us. And you wouldn't go to a doctor and, and be, get, a, get a cancer diagnosis and the doctor gives you a pep talk and sends you back on the way with a pat on the back. That's not a good doctor. Um, in the same way, when we open up God's Word each week or you do in your own life on a daily basis, we are faced with the reality of, of our own hearts, which are in an already not yet place, still sick, still in need of cleansing. And what we want to do is, is press towards honesty and vulnerability, where we can experience the cleansing, healing work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, using us in one another's lives to push us into healing, deeper joy, and the fullness of life that Jesus has to offer. The other thing is that if we were to stop right now, it would be like an abusive thing. Like if we were to just be like, all right, Let's pray and go. That would be quite abusive of me. To put you in a condition by walking through this passage to see you are desperately sick, but not leading you to the place of hope and healing. So yes, our hearts are leprous and sick, and that's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came not to condemn, but to cleanse, to save. We aren't done this morning. There is hope, there is deeper joy ahead of you, and there is fullness of life available to you in Jesus. So there is a sickness. We also see in this story there is a cleansing. There is a cleansing. If you look with us again in verse 41, 
The guy comes humbly before Jesus, bowed down, begging, if you, can, if you want to, you can. If you want to, make me clean. And Jesus, is verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. That we don't have a king in Jesus who sits on his throne and looks down at the sickness of his people and says, get up here to my throne. Like, rise yourselves up. But we have a compassionate king who sat on his throne and, and came down in his incarnation to be among us, sympathizing with the sin of the world. Not that he was sinful, but he felt the weight of the world that we live in. That he was tempted by sin, yet never failed. And that Jesus sees the condition and the hopelessness of humanity, and he doesn't sit by and look like driving by a car wreck. But he stops and he comes down, humbling himself in the, in the form of flesh as a compassionate king to take upon sickness himself and provide cleansing and healing. You see, Jesus in this moment does what no one else would or could do. And I don't mean healing the guy. Yes, that's true. But Jesus touched him. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus touched this guy. To touch somebody who had leprosy was to risk physically becoming unclean. The reason they're out there is because this infection might spread. You might become physically unclean and then join them in outcast. Or if not that, you might or would definitely cause oneself to be ceremonially unclean. To touch a leper was to then make yourself unclean. But when Jesus touches the leper, the leper was made clean, not Jesus made dirty. Now, this is the way Sinclair Ferguson put it. He wanted to heal the man, of course, but he could have done it without touching him. By touching him, he was really saying, I am prepared to become by choice what you are by nature, a man under judgment of the law, in order to share with you what I have, freedom and life. And Jesus' like radical step here to step out and touch the man was saying, I'm willing and choose to take on the sickness of you so that I may give to you the cleanliness that I am. You see, Jesus is unpacking the picture of what he has come to do by touching this man with leprosy. I've come to take your sickness upon myself, and I'm willing to do it, and I'm going to. And not only am I willing to and going to, I'm going to give you my freedom and life. What's been taken from this guy? His freedom and his very life. And so what does Jesus do in healing this man? He restores him. He restores his social life. He restores his professional life. He restores his familial life. He restores his physical life. He restores his emotional life. He restores his spiritual life that Jesus undoes all that this man is experiencing. The other thing we see is Jesus declares this man something that in this culture he didn't have position to do. That Jesus declares this man clean. 
He doesn't just take away the leprosy and be like, cool, man, see you later. He, he takes away the leprosy and then he says, I will be clean. He declares this man to be clean. See, if somebody had leprosy and they were healed, maybe it just naturally got better or they encountered Jesus. When they, what they were supposed to do is go back to the priest, present themselves to the priest, quarantine seven days, present themselves to the priest, quarantine seven days. All right, two weeks go by, you're good. Now, go make sacrifice to God out of gratitude for him healing and cleansing you of this leprosy. So two birds, two sheep, do the whole kill the goats, kill the sheep, kill the birds thing. Like that, that was what was necessary in order for their cleansing. But what Jesus does here is he, he declares this man to be clean. And you see, Jesus moves towards the sick, not away. And Jesus, by his power, restores all that was lost, risking and saying, I will take upon me what is in you, and I will give to you what is in me, life. Jesus is the cleansing king who has come to restore life to all who will come to him humbly and beg and ask to be made clean. So for us to come to Jesus means that we have to humble ourselves and acknowledge there is sickness in me that I can't do anything about. And every time I try, it's like a three-year-old trying to clean up a milk mess. It just gets worse. It just smears and then dries gross and then it's harder to clean up. And then mold begins to grow and sickness begins to spread. See, when we see the sinfulness of our own hearts, our own sickness, and we're like, okay, I can fix this, we just make it worse. But when we, like this leper, acknowledge our, our, our position, our hopelessness, and are humbled to the point to we come to Jesus, acknowledging our sin, our failure, our brokenness, our hearts bent towards sin, and we beg and we cry and we plead for him to forgive and to cleanse, in his compassion, he doesn't move away, he moves towards. And he reaches out and he touches. And he forgives. And he cleans. Ultimately, this is the gospel. Jesus came to take upon your sickness and sin upon himself in his cross. He came to take what you were, sick and sin, and become it so that you could have what he was, sinless and righteous. So for you, maybe this morning that looks like faith in Jesus. That you, you've, you've tried to fix and you've tried to fix and you've tried to fix and, and it's led you to just more hopelessness and more mess. And you've never come to a point to where you've just said, I need Jesus for my eternal salvation and the cleansing of my soul. Today is the day where you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that he came to take your sin upon himself and die in your place, rising from the dead, providing you life and restoration to your, your soul beginning now, regenerating through all life and eternal perfection in heaven with him. By faith in Jesus, by humbling yourself and acknowledging, 
I need him and crying out that he would save you. I don't know, maybe you've been in church your entire life. Maybe you're new to this whole thing. Whatever place that you find yourself in, if you need to put your faith in Jesus today and be made clean, just simply cry out to him in prayer and ask him to save you. Maybe you are a Christian. You've put your faith in Jesus. The, the, the interesting thing is that Jesus doesn't save us to then go start becoming our own physician. He doesn't save you and take away your sin and then say, all right, here's some tools. Start fixing yourself. Start treating your own disease. No. The life of a Christian is ongoingly coming back to Jesus, confessing your sin, asking him to continually root out the sickness of your heart and give you a new one. See, there's this already not yet component to our lives. That if you've put your faith in Jesus, when God sees you in regards to your eternal salvation, he sees the perfect life of Jesus, sinless. But we live the rest of our lives struggling until we die and are made perfect and sinless. So for the Christian, yes, you are justified by the completed work of Jesus on the cross and his death and resurrection. Nothing you do can take that salvation away but we're a work in progress. Not to earn anything, but because when we look more like Jesus, more people see him and come to faith in him. Your holiness, your growth in becoming more like Jesus is not about you. There's a, there's a, there's a benefit. There's a lot more joy that comes in following Jesus. But it's about other people seeing him and us becoming image bearers who display him to the world around us. And that happens by us ongoingly confessing the condition of our heart, our sinfulness, to him and crying out in repentance for him to make our hearts clean. This is David and in, in, created me a clean heart, O oh God. That's the, this is, that's the cleansing, to humbly come before Jesus and ask him to cleanse you. The third thing is the response. What happens after this guy's cleansed? Tells us a lot about what our lives as Christians ought to look like. Read with me in, in verse 43 through 45. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for yourself or offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went away and began talking freely about it and spreading the good news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter towns but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. It can be really easy for us as Christians who love the Great Commission and ought to, who understand our place in the kingdom to make disciples and declare the gospel of Jesus, to romanticize this guy's actions as honorable. To look at this guy and say, he was healed, and he was overjoyed by the healing, and he couldn't help but tell everybody, praise God, that's awesome. Wow, that's amazing. And we could say, oh, there's the application point for today. Be healed by Jesus and go tell everyone. And yes, that's true. We should tell everybody about what Jesus has done. But there's something in this part right here that we can't miss. This guy disobeyed Jesus. 
And just to be clear, there's no like reverse psychology going on here. Like Jesus, and I'm grateful for this, he for the most part is a straight shooter. He just says it. There's only one area of his entire ministry where Jesus is kind of like sneaking some stuff in there. It's typically around parables. It's not that he's being deceitful, it's that he's just, he's only telling certain people what they mean. But when it comes to this instruction, Jesus isn't saying, hey, don't tell anybody, because he's hoping he'll disobey and go tell everybody. That's not what's happening. Jesus seems to mean, don't go tell anyone. Why? It gives us a picture of what basic discipleship to Jesus looks like. Now, this is uh, another pastor said it this way. In fact, he, the leper, became an obstacle to Jesus because of the way he witnessed about him. His life underlined a basic lesson of discipleship. The Lord's work should be done only in the Lord's way, according to the Lord's word. There's no better principle by which to serve him than the one that Mary learned and taught. Do whatever he tells you. That's Mary who served Jesus in John 2, 1. See, we can romanticize this guy for going out and telling everybody about Jesus because we're supposed to go do that. But what we can't miss here is that this guy was given a clear instruction by Jesus and he didn't obey it which unveils to us what we're supposed to do. You see, the response to the miracle of Jesus cleansing us is worship. The the answer to the response for the cleansing work of Jesus in your heart and life is worship. See, God has made you well so that you might worship Him. Uh, A a story I I watched the other day, quickly, um, there was this 19-year-old girl named Maddie who, who needed a liver. A liver transplant. And some random guy saw a Facebook post. His name was Jaden. He's like, hey, why not? Let's give it a shot. Gets tested, finds out he's a donor, match. Gives her part of his own liver. And they never meet each other. Uh, like almost a year later, some people set up this time for them to secretly meet one another. And in that, what is, what is Maddie's response when she sees Jaden, who, who she owes her physical life to? She runs up to and embraces him with tears in her eyes. Because this guy gave of himself to save her very life. It's a picture of what our response to Jesus' cleansing work in our hearts should be. Laying our lives before him. As an act of worship, Jesus, whatever you will, yes. You see, worship is, worship is an all-encompassing response in our lives to what God has done in the cleansing work of Jesus in our hearts. It's saying, whatever you want in every area of my life, Jesus, the answer is yes. John Calvin said it this way, if, if he, meaning the leopard, wished to express his gratitude towards Jesus, to whom he was indebted for his cure, there is no better method that he could have been found than obedience. Which God prefers to sacrifice, and which is the original and foundational or foundation of the law of worship. 
See, we, we, the caution here for us is that we can't go and create a different picture of what it looks like for us to respond to Jesus than the one that he's outlined for us in his word. Which is a life of worship, which means obedience to Jesus in our time. What do we do with our time? How do you spend it? Are you being a, a good steward of the seven-day week Jesus gives you? In your relationships with other people, are you being obedient to Jesus? In shepherding and caring for the souls of the people that you're in church community with? Taking responsibility for one another and submitting yourself to their responsibility and accountability? In relationship with your neighbors and non-believers in your life, are you being obedient to Jesus in worship because of what he's done for you in cleansing you? In your work, are you living obedient and worshipful to Jesus because of what he's done for you in your work? In your rest, in your vacation, just FYI, there's a way to vacation that's, that's in obedience to Jesus. And there's a way to vacation that's not. There is, I promise. I'm pretty good at doing it in a way that's not. Because I don't rest. That's what vacation's for. So that I can serve him more faithfully and more fully when I'm not vacationing. How you respond to your ongoing need of confession and repentance is worship. Owning, I'm sick, I need a savior, Jesus fix me, Jesus cleanse me. And gathering with the people of God in the church to sing and pray and eagerly hope to hear from him is response and worship to what he, for what he has done for you. Giving generously to the kingdom and towards others is worship to Jesus because of the generosity that he's shown you in his miracle of cleansing your soul. You see, the appropriate response to Jesus' work of cleansing this leper was worship. And although it might have looked really great, and we can romanticize it, his response was rebellion. And we can try to justify it. Well, he was making Jesus known. God's at work. And he's at work in our obedience to do a, mir a million miracles that we're not aware of. So for us, the appropriate response to the cleansing work of Jesus is a life of worship. A worship in believing the gospel that you can be cleansed and putting your faith in him. A work in ongoingly believing the gospel that he has justified you and forgiven you. Uh, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 outlines the life of, of, of a Christian as, as giving your entire life to Jesus, a living sacrifice of worship. The last thing that I think ought to be a consistent part in the life of every single Christian is this. Psalm 51, verse 4, David says this. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Con confronted with the sickness of his own sin. Humbled, he comes to God and says, I can't fix it, you fix it. I'm not going to try harder. I'm not going to buckle down and figure out a new strategy. 
I'm going to own it and humbly confess it to Jesus, to my community, and ask him to create a clean heart. Asking him to change the desires of my flesh and cultivate desires of the Spirit. See, Jesus is our cleansing king. Then all of us are sick. Either we're terminally sick or we've been restored and we're ongoingly dealing with the, re- the residual sickness of our sin. When Jesus longs for and wills to cleanse us, we humbly need to come before him and beg. And then worship him in response for what he's done. Worship Jesus for the restoration of joy and the fullness of life available to you in him. We're going to spend a few songs in response. I want to encourage you, if you have kids that are in K through first or fifth, um, that in, to spend this first song with Jesus. Spend this first song with him. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to open your mind and your heart to see what's going on in you and just do business with him. Maybe it's you need to talk to somebody, a friend, a, a family member, a spouse. Maybe you'd like to come up and pray or talk with Brandon. He'll be over here. I'll be over here. We'd love to talk with you. Whatever response, whatever worship looks like right now, we need to do that. And then I want to encourage you to to go get your kindergarten through fifth graders and bring them in here to sing and worship with us. I want to also let you know, like, you're not obligated to do that. If you need to sit here with Jesus this whole three songs, that's fine. You can do that.